tell you what, if you've got your Bibles, please open at John chapter 3. And we're going to look at, as it says, he must become greater. I really appreciated the music team this morning. And just, I, I, I don't contact and don't interact with the music team. And, and, and I trust that the Spirit of God speaks to the people organizing the music as I seek the Lord. And, and as I hear the music or I see the songs that we play, for me, I find those confirmations, little confirmations, that, that the, the word that we're going to look at today is what the Lord wants us to hear. And if that's what the Lord wants us to hear, then it's important for us to take notice, but for us to be attentive to what the Spirit of God is saying to us this morning. So let's pray, and we'll look at the Word together. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you sent Him to be the propitiation for our sins, to be our advocate that intercedes on our behalf, that, that is, who, who is exalted above all and and in you, in your mercy, you, in your grace, you, in the expression of your love in your son, Jesus, we have come to know life. We have come to know hope. We have come to know purpose. We have come to know you. So I pray for each person here this morning, including myself, that as we look at your word, you might reveal to us yourself. And that as we experience that revelation by your spirit, you will draw us to yourself, you will change our hearts and our attitudes, and Father, you will give us a vision of yourself in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm not going to read through the passage, we're actually going to work our way through this, but in, in the first half of John chapter 3, you have the encounter that Nicodemus has with the Lord Jesus. Nicodemus being an upright religious man. Nicodemus being a man who didn't want to be noticed by the other religious people of the day to go see this person called Jesus. And so he sneaks away at night and he meets up with them. And then in that encounter, in that dialogue with Jesus, Jesus reveals himself to him about you you must be born again if unless you're born again by the spirit of god you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven you won't even see the kingdom of heaven and and nicodemus he's asking those normal questions what, what do you mean being born again you mean a man's got to go back into the womb and be born again and he says no 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 and he explains it again and then we have that wonderful verse that that gospel in a nutshell that john three sixteen: for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and you have the, the beauty of the gospel reflected in this encounter. But what I want to continue on wasn't so much this interaction with Nicodemus, but rather this reality that John proclaims later on. In John chapter 3, verse 30. You see, from verses 22 to 26, we're just going to go through this. After this encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus retreats with him and his disciples to the Judean countryside. That's in verse 22. And he's baptizing people there. And, and I think it's in the authorized version that Jesus isn't baptizing, but his disciples are. So after that, we're told that there's now this moving over to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, we looked at in John chapter 1. And what happens is that there's an observation that is made by John's disciples 
they discuss with this certain Jew, it says, I think in verse 24, 25, they, they discuss with a certain Jew the, the, the issues regarding ceremonial washing. And this prompts the, the John's disciples to go back to him and ask them this question. I'll just turn this on. This prompts him to go and ask John this question in verse 26. He says, or they say, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. Now, if you recall, John the Baptist testifies to the greatness of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, if you remember from several weeks ago. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When John testifies to that, they would have heard this and thought, wow, actually, a couple of John's disciples follow Jesus after such a testimony. They testify, sorry, he, he, he testifies that I'm not even worthy to, to untie his sandals. He testifies how he who comes after me is preferred before me because he was before me. John sits there and says, I baptize with water, but he who comes after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John is testifying to this great person who is coming after him, and the disciples go, hang on, well, I don't understand that guy you testified about. Well, now he's, he's baptizing people. Everybody's going to him. This is what I like to call maybe a, a competitive curiosity. A compet We're like this, aren't we? we the, the fact that you're doing something, someone else seems to be doing the same thing, but everyone's attracted to them. And even, even we as people, it's, from a human perspective, we're like, well, hang on a second, hang on a second. Like, what are they doing different to what I'm doing? I don't understand why. You know, people are going to another church. Why? Oh, their music's better. Their, their preacher's far better. You know, the preacher's a lot nicer looking, whatever it might be. You didn't have to laugh so hard on that one, eh? Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, like, my head's as shiny as it is. That's all. It, okay, but you know what I mean. And we can. We start. We and, and we can even sit there and we have this human perspective. From a human perspective, I get it. But John's not looking from a human perspective. John the Baptist is looking at it from a divine perspective, from a God perspective. He's looking at the idea of God's bigger plan. Why? Because. He understood that everything he is, everything he did, the calling placed on his life was from God. That's why he responds to his disciples with these words, oh, well, with this word firstly, Psalm 33, 11, that the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. See, John had this perspective that went beyond the fact that there was competition in Jesus. He didn't see it as competition. He saw his role being fulfilled in what Jesus is doing. See, John's purpose has always been to direct people to Jesus. And that is the key that many of us lack as Christians today. We fail to see the bigger picture of what God is doing in people's lives. We think that if they stay connected to us as people, as people, we think that if they don't stay connected to us as people, then they're not going to grow as Christians. No, that, that, we're secondary. Why? Because it's by the Spirit of God, using the Word of God in their lives that growth takes place. Not me, not you, not this building. It's about their connection with God. 
And if it means, for example, years ago when Griselda would go to Blacktown and do, for those of you who don't know, Griselda's my wife, and she would do a ministry with young mums, with uh, single mums in Blacktown, just discipling them, leading them to the Lord, discipling them. And then she would feed them into churches in the Blacktown area. Why? Because she was doing a, a work with the vision of the kingdom, not the vision of this particular location, but of the kingdom and bringing people into the kingdom. And when she would take people to churches and introduce them to their pastors, and the pastor said, why don't you take them to your church? Well, because they live right around the corner. I'm not going to bring them all the way to Castle Hill. And she would, she would feed them. And that was, that was the idea of having this bigger perspective, which many of us lack. We lack the knowledge of God's plans. We lack the knowledge of our connection with those plans. And we lack, even in some cases, the obedience to the instruction to fulfill those plans. Things that John reveals in response. All right, so the knowledge of God's plans for John. So John had this clear understanding of what his role was in God's will specifically. See, John was a man of God who fully understood that specific plan. His anointing by the Holy Spirit in the womb in Luke 1.41. His ministry as the voice crying out in the wilderness in Mark 1, 2, and 3. His service in preaching and teaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin in Mark 1, 4. And in so doing, being the one to prepare the people to receive the Lord. John 1, verse 23. This plan was given and gifted to him, which he understood to direct all people to Jesus, which is why in verse 27 he says, a person can receive only what is given him from heaven. He understood that everything he could do ministry-wise, his service, his role, his conduct, was all given to him by God. How limited a vision we have as people to our detriment that we are quick to acknowledge that God is sovereign. We are quick to recognize that Jesus is king. We are quick to state that without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing but when we look at the blessings that we have in life and we experience some kind of loss, it might be a loss of job, it might be a loss of relationship, it might be a loss of finances, a loss of possessions, a loss of health. We find it difficult to cope with them. Why? Because we think what I have worked so hard for has been taken from me. Straight away, our perspective changes. I've put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into what I've got now, and now it's gone. Not understanding that everything we have and everything we are has been given to us by God. It shows how limited our vision is. See, we fail to live like the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Nor do we see how, like the Lord Jesus says in John 17, 7, that everything you have given me comes from you. And Jesus is praying about his disciples there. He's talking about the relationships he has as the rabbi to these 12 followers. He says, you've given me them. 
They are from you because if we did, if we did have a clearer understanding and accept that reality in each of our lives, then maybe we would lie down prostrate. Like what Job did when he had everything he did, what was taken away from him and says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Which is why John understands and accepts this ministry loss as the blessing and privilege it is, rather than a burden and weight. Because he says this in verse 28. He says, you yourselves testify, sorry, can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. John was never to be the focus. He never positioned himself to be the focus. Neither did he proclaim himself to be the focus. Jesus was always the one John sought to direct the attention to, and to whom he was overjoyed to do so. Verse 29, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. The friend of the bridegroom, the best man you could say. He was Jimmy yesterday at the wedding that I looked at, that I, looked at, that I got to officiate yesterday. But they're, they're secondary. The focus is the groom for the best man. And all the attention is directed to him. The way they do things in Jewish culture is slightly different. But the bridegroom's friend is just attentive to the bridegroom who is coming to claim his bride. That's the focus. This is the role that John has. Now, now with such an understanding of these things, of this statement, I think shows, as you look at the verse I want to focus on mainly, I think it expresses a desire and a, a heart that every single follower of Christ would want to have. It is the prayer, I think, of a majority of us as Christians. And it's this in verse 30. He must become greater. I must become less. This isn't saying that Jesus is not already great but it is stating an imperative. That's my new word for today. It is stating an imperative with that word must. This has to take place. This will happen. On, see, John, as the herald of the Lord Jesus and preparing his way, had been fulfilled. Like it said in the previous verse, it was now complete. His joy is now complete, but it didn't stop there for him. Yes, his joy is complete, but it fell upon him and in all the eyes of those around him, including his disciples, to magnify and exalt, to uplift and revere, to celebrate and glorify the Lord Jesus. He must become greater. As great as he already is, he must become greater. And it's not because he is in need of being viewed in such a way. It's not like he needs to be made greater, but because he is worthy of being made greater. 
He is deserving of being made greater. Not because he isn't great already, but in the eyes of all the people around him, in the eyes of his own disciples, in the eyes of himself, he said he must become more in the eyes of all who see him. That's the role that he had to play. That's the role we have been called to play. You see, Jesus' greatness causes the 24 elders to lay down their crowns before the throne of Christ and worship and proclaim, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. He, Revelation 4.11, the greatness of Jesus Christ cannot help but humble you. That's how you're made less. Not by making your, see that word must, like I said, it's an imperative. But as you make someone greater, what happens? You cannot help but become less because you see yourself in relation to that. I know I'm a terrible basketball player because I compare myself to Jono and the greater and the better he is, I realize, wow, I'm really not that good. I look at Brendan and I look at Saeed. I look at all these guys that play basketball. I thought, wow. I look at Brad, big man Brad, as one who drives to the ring, I believe that's what it's called. But you know what I mean? When you compare yourself to somebody great, you cannot help but be humbled. That's how one becomes less. It is, the, it is, it is Isaiah when the, the, the glory of the Lord fills, this train fills the temple. And what does he say? He says, woe is me. Woe is me. He is made less, not out of any sort of um, decisions or thoughts that he places on himself, but by merely looking at the sheer greatness of God in his temple. And he is humbled and says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And it's like what John did in John chapter 1, the submission of John the Baptist who recognizes his need to be baptized by Jesus instead of the other way around. And that's in Matthew 1.14. Make no mistake, Jesus is great. Jesus is majestic. Jesus is glorious. So the statement to make Jesus greater is wrapped up in that one imperative, must must, that one imperative statement, it has to happen. It needs to take place. It is a necessary occurrence. Jesus must become greater in the eyes of all who bear witness to him. For in the process of him becoming greater, I naturally become less. So how then is Jesus made greater in the eyes of all around Wow, that is done through you and through me. It is done through creation. It is done through the majesty, through a kind act for the glory of God. I was, I was thinking this over. He is made greater when families submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5.21. He is made greater as wives submit to their own husbands as unto the Lord in Ephesians 5.23. He is made greater when husbands love their wives as Christ 
loved the church and gave himself for her in Ephesians 5.26. He's made greater in the families as he is honored within your homes. When he's prioritized in your homes, he is made greater when the reality of Jesus is demonstrated in how you live in your home. He is made greater when we trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not to our own understanding. He's made greater when in all our ways we acknowledge him and he directs our paths in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He is made greater when we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as ourselves. He's made greater when we choose to do things. He is made greater when we proclaim the greatness of his love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He has made greater that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and that God has raised him from the dead that you'll be saved, he has made greater when we proclaim that reality, when we, when we recognize those truths. He has made greater when we look at how he knows each of us by name and with the full knowledge of my sinfulness, with the full knowledge of my guilt, of, of my shameful arrogant, self-righteous ego and extends to me hands of forgiveness, extends to me hands of mercy, hands of grace, hands of acceptance, hands of compassion and of redemption and renewal that in the darkest of the dark states that I am, he loves on me. That's why he's greater. That's why he's great. That's why he must be made greater. Because in a world full of darkness that needs light, that needs love, that needs Jesus, that's done so through you and the best way they see the reality of Jesus in you is as you live for him each moment of each day and show that the, the reason you are who you are, that by the grace of God, you are who you are. That I am what I am. Which is why when you carry on reading and, and John, you, you see this, uh, some commentators reckon that from verse 30 to the end of the chapter in verse 36 is just this one big statement looking at the, the greatness of Jesus Christ, his, his ministry, his involvement, his work. Because we read this. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. Jesus Christ comes and testifies not only to who he is, he is testified by his Father who he is, my Son in whom I am well pleased. He is testified to who he is by the miracles that he performs, by raising people from the dead, by making the blind to see, by making the lame to walk, by making the deaf to hear. He, he testified to, to his control over creation when he, when he stops the storm, when he's conquered death and raises people from the dead. Everything that he does testifies it, and people still reject him. People still choose to deny the reality of who he is. And in so doing, he sits there, but to the one who the Spirit opens their eyes to see. They testify that God is truthful. You testify that God is truthful. 
the transformation in your lives, the miraculous taking from darkness and bringing to light in your lives, the fact that you've been made new in Christ in your lives. You are testaments of God's truthfulness, of God's beauty, of God's reality. Verse 34 says this, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loved the Son, loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is the greatness of Jesus. The greatness of Jesus extends to the fact that in his becoming greater, in his exaltation, in his qualification, he brings about change by drawing all people to himself. This is a promise of the word of God. He says, and I, this is Jesus speaking, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. John 14, sorry, John 12, 32. Now, while this is a reference to the death that he was about to die in John chapter 12, think about what happens there. He's nailed to a cross, guilty, well, sorry, innocent for the guilty. He's nailed to a cross. He is lifted up and all sorts of people were gathered there his followers who saw him from a distance, his mother and John the apostle to whom he speaks with, the Romans who recognize that this is the Son of God, his mockers who stood there mocking him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. Those people who the very week before were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, who this week are now saying, crucify him. And standing there, yeah, he drew people to himself. He drew people to himself so that when darkness descended, as God placed judgment, all the judgment for your sin, all the judgment for your arrogance, all the judgment for your rebellion, all the judgment for your defiance, all the judgment for your evil that was placed on him at that time, for you. When that happens, he drew everybody to himself because people were standing there watching they were drawn, all right. They were drawn, and they saw the reality of not only God's anger and God's wrath and God's judgment upon sin, but they also bore witness to the greatest expression of love ever displayed in history. A love that accepted you. A love that died on your behalf. A love poured out in his body and his blood. Yeah, he drew all people to himself. But that principle still applies even now. That through you, even now, that as Jesus Christ is lifted up in your lives, in your homes, in your relationships, in your friendships, in your workplace, what happens? That through you, Jesus draws people to himself. That he sees the reality of what Jesus does through you on how you treat your kids on how you interact with your brothers and sisters and how you make the step to be understanding to others. I shared this with Tommy this morning, just how, I'm, my youngest boy is 16, 
And God taught me a valuable lesson, a valuable lesson about being a father and how the, the demonstration of, of love of, of who Jesus is through the way I conduct myself as a parent. And I realized how bad a job I was doing it in my own home. So I do mentoring with these boys on a Monday, and they're from a really rough background, and they're about the same age as my son. And I'm sitting there, and I had realized how I can be so understanding and so caring, so compassionate and so accepting of these boys who are not my kids, and yet when my son, who is going through very similar things to what these boys are, I am judgmental, I'm condemning, and I don't have any patience whatsoever. And that really struck me. And so we had on Monday, this past Monday, and I, I, God had taught me this throughout, throughout the last sort of month. And I, we had on the, uh, on the Monday, we we're just talking, and the, the theme of uh, gratefulness, of being thankful, came up. And I said to the, you know, everybody had to give thanks for two things. And so the, the kids did their one, then the other teacher did his two things, and I gave my two things. And I said, I want to thank, I want to thank you guys. Because God has used you guys to teach me how bad a parent I've been. And they're like, I don't understand. What do you mean? And I express that same thing. I says, I, I found that I'm a lot more accepting of you guys and your situation. And a lot more understanding of you guys. And a lot more forgiving of you guys when you make mistakes. And, and I'll sit there and I'll try to come along. And I find I'm like that with you guys. But I'm not like that with my own son. I says, you taught me. God used you to teach me about how I need to grow as a parent. So thank you. And they're like, you're welcome. I thought, that's funny. But what's been a blessing is because like God taught me that lesson about four, four, four weeks ago, and I've seen the difference with my son. And how I, the, just, just in that, the, those little things, being able to sit down and talk with him and be understanding, and he does something inside. Every fiber of my being just wants to, ah! And I think, that's not how it is, eh, Lord? And, 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 I'll, and I'll listen, and I'll... And I'll, I'll sit there and I'll say, how can I work with you instead of against you in this? And as I am seeking to honor God in my parenting, you know what's happening? God's drawing him to himself. He's been watching these sermons online, so hopefully he doesn't see this one. But, uh, but, but he's, been, he's been watching sermons online. And, I says, and so I keep praying for him that God will continue to draw. But as you continue to honor God, what does he do? He draws people to himself. You see, people gathered and saw in Christ the beauty of God's holiness, the beauty of God's wrath poured out on Jesus, the beauty of God's judgment as he turned away from his son who became sin for us. But that truth remains the same, though, in the sense that if we can but grasp that truth that he must become greater, and that as he becomes greater, that through you, God will draw people to himself because they see the beauty of Jesus in you. That's the challenge that's laid before us. That's the reality laid out before us. That's the privilege we get to partake of. So don't shy away. Don't shy away from this beautiful responsibility, this beautiful privilege, this beautiful opportunity laid out before us. Don't shy away with that, from that. Embrace it. And what, what I'm blessed by is the fact that I've seen many parents within this church that I've had the privilege to discuss with and seen how they have grown as parents. Why? Because they have sought to honor God so that they might show Jesus to their children the beauty of who he is. May we go forth from here today and be 
conduits. Here's my other word, imperative and conduits. Two big words today. Conduits for the beauty of Jesus to be shown to all around us. Don't show away from that. Stand on the promises of God. Go forth and through Jesus, conquer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We want to be people who uphold and exalt you. We want to lift you up. You must become greater in each of our lives. You must become greater in each of our circumstances. You must become greater in each of our relationships. And in so doing, we must become less. So Father, I pray as we come before you that through your Son, we will come to know and experience not only your greatness, but our humbling. So please work with us. Please work in us. And in the power of your Spirit, please transform us to be like your Son, Jesus Christ. We commit ourselves to you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.